We are continuing in Romans chapter 5, verse 18, but let's do a, a quick review before we get into the lesson and the verse itself. So in review, Adam brought sin and death. Christ brought grace and life. Before the law, sin was in the world, but it was not imputed or counted to man legally. God dealt with him at a lesser level. Law brings conviction of truth. So when it came, it magnified and showed people the sin that was already there. It just made it really known to them. Yet sin ruled through the Adamic nature. God held them at a lower standard. So the nature and the corruption that we get through Adam and Eve, that's in our nature. The willful choosing and actions that have to do with our will, they're under a different category. They're both sin, but God actually deals with the actions rather than the desire or the inner thoughts. He deals, again, at a lower level, but he's going to change that later. So God held them to different standards. All were born with the sinful nature because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Yet by one man, we call him the second Adam, Grace and righteousness came to many, but not to all. We have to understand that. We'll see then where faith alone and license to sin and grace has no place in Scripture. We will see how it works under the old and under the new. So under the second Adam, Christ, he came to bring something else and some power with it. The effects of him, of Christ, are workable and practical and helpful. So there's no greasy grace. There's no license to sin. Those who teach that are teaching demonic teachings and their false Christianity. And that's a lot of what we have to deal with today. People don't want reality. They want some mystical belief that has no power, no effect to change anybody, and doesn't require anything because it's a false gospel. It's a lie from the devil. Okay. So we see then that Christ gives power over sin. So a lot of people say it's grace and faith alone. That faith alone is never taught in Scripture. It's a false concept. It's a false teaching. It's never alone. Even under the old and new, the first words Jesus said was, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. Repent is spiritual working. If you do not repent, that means the man must do something. Then he confesses. That is his works. It's not just accepting something with no change, no direction. You do not find that under any covenant. And again, as we said, all judgments by God are according to man's works, spiritual works and obedience. Never once does it say according to his faith, because if it's true faith, it has works with it. It has obedience. It has fruitfulness. And therefore, you can tell a lot of this grace talk is nothing but nonsense, and it's going to lead people to the lake of fire is where it's going to lead them. So Christ gives power to overcome sin. Well, what does it mean to overcome? It means you have power over it. It's still there. Its effect can be weakened. It's not annihilated. The Christian is just not under grace and nothing affects him. No, it can still affect him if he allows it to. So we will see that Christ strengthens by him dwelling in us and yoking, that means we have a, a part in it. 
joining his spirit, we have the ability and strength, but it has to be used. It is not automatic. Otherwise, your faith and your Christianity is in vain. It means it's empty. It will accomplish nothing. So Christ gives the power to overcome sin by what he did. And we'll also see he reminded the seven churches, and that was Christ talking, that every one of them had to be overcomers. Well, a lot of faults say, well, we have already overcome because we believe in Jesus. Well, that's not true. You're an overcomer if you're walking in the Spirit now. You overcame if you've been forgiven your sins in the past and have followed the Lord. But there is no future guarantee of overcoming unless you choose to overcome. And to do that, you have to follow the Lord and get help from him. And a lot of people say, well, it's all automatic. Well, you're a, you're a deceived soul. And that's why you will weep and wail and gnash your teeth in eternity when you realize how foolish you were, that you were so gullible and didn't understand and didn't want to understand what the scripture says about these things. So talking to, and this was Christ in the prophecy of Revelation, when he was talking to professing Christians and he was talking to actual Christians, the mixtures of both. And he said, you have to overcome each one of them. He said, I know your works. Isn't that funny? He didn't say, I, I know what you believe in me. It was irrelevant to him. Because if you were working right and you were obeying, then you got the right belief. Otherwise, you're just saying, Lord, Lord. And as Jesus said, why call me that if you're not going to do what I tell you? Because he's not your Lord if you're not being led of him. So we see that nullifies 99% of people's claim to be a Christian because they're not following the Lord. They're not living for the Lord. They hope in God will rubber stamp whatever they're doing, but they're going to find out he's not going to do that, okay? So if grace is not used, so see, that's the working part, the obeying part. It's there. It's given as a spiritual weapon. Then it's vain and useless. It has no use. If someone gives you a gun and says a lion's come and shoot him, and you decide you don't want to pick the gun up, well, that lion's going to eat you. That's just how it's going to happen, okay? Because you have the ability to pick that gun up and shoot him, okay? Grace is very similar. It has to be put into action. And the will of man is always involved in any spiritual matter. There's always the divine side. It's never a man alone. No pharisaical works. No Catholic works at all, things like that. Uh-uh. That's useless. It's man yielding to the Holy Spirit and him helping man do what God requires. It is not all faith and all grace. You do not find that. We live under a probation and we must be faithful until the end. And we must prove our faithfulness. A lot of people think, oh, we've arrived. I read the end of the book. I said, that wasn't applying to you. Because if you're not overcoming and you're not serving the Lord, you didn't have an overcome. So you're not in that group. You can forget about being in that group. So if it's not used, it's useless. There is no faith alone. This is not taught in Scripture. It's a famous demonic teaching. It is no better than Roman Catholicism. It encourages people to live in sin. Well, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. That's a lie. There's no concept in Scripture. 
You either have them both or you don't have them. Well, Jesus, he's not on the throne of my life. Then you're not a Christian. It's very simple. You forfeited whatever Christianity you had, or you never had it. See? But you want to be lied to. A lot of people, they want to be lied to. Well, they're going to be enlightened at the end. The flames of hell are going to reveal many things. And they will have regret and hopelessness and misery for eternity how stupid and foolish they were that the devil did deceive them. And they willed to be deceived. They wanted to hear the lies. They wanted an easy believism, okay? And so we see then, if you are not bearing fruit, if you are not obedient, then there are no works. That's the works James talking about, spiritual works. He ain't talking about ceremony and, and ritual. and uh, nah, He's being practical. He's saying, if you have faith, then prove it. I'll see your works, and then I, I realize you got faith. But if you say you have faith, and I don't see no evidence of it, then you have a false faith. You don't have the real goods. So he's making it very practical. He was in perfect agreement with Paul. They were not in conflict, okay? So a believer is a disciple. There is never no separation. A disciple is a beginner, and he's a continuer, and he goes to the end. A believer is used in the same context. I think the word believe is probably only used about 20 times in the epistles, the believing just who Jesus is, but about 400 times calling him Lord and following him as used. I'll tell you what's more useful to a person. Believing don't mean nothing if you don't put it into action. So most people got mental assent belief. I always say that because they have lip service. They believe something, but not enough to put it into action. They believe that Jesus died on the cross and he raised again and he's Lord. And they believe he's their Lord, but they're lawless and they don't follow him. And they're not led of the spirit and they don't obey him. So therefore it's vain. They have the wrong kind of Christianity and it's not going to save them at the end. You go find out. So Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you? Why? Because you are a false Christian. You are a false professing Christian. You were a once Christian because you're not following him anymore. You chose to stop following him and obeying him. And we will see that's the choice of man. That's the human side of even the spiritual man. Things with Christ are not automatic. They do not work automatically. We do not have the instincts like animals often do many things just because it's put in their nature. Man has a choice and he can will and do certain things. And Christ demands him to use it. We hear all the apostles encouraging us to put this on, put Christ on, don't do this, do that. Why? Because we're responsible. Never says he's going to do it anyway. He never says, oh, it's all grace and faith and you don't have to worry about it. Well, that's a demon talking. Let's call it what it is. Okay, so now we get to verse 18, Romans 5. So then as through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation for all men, the son of Adam. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life for all men. Christ died on the cross and saying it's finished and being the perfect sacrifice 
So he undid. That's why it's called the second Adam, okay? He knew no sin, and he was made sin. He never said. He never yielded to it. He did not have the sinful nature. He was not born with it. The human side, he got through Mary, a human. The divine side and who he is and other his character, we can't fully understand, but he was given a life separate from the Father, and there was no sin in it because the Lord was the Father. So see, therefore, original sin could not pass to him, but he could be tempted and he could uh, uh, disobey with his will, and he did not. He never faulted once, and therefore he was acceptable to God as a representative for man. So when God judged him, he counted him. Legally, he said, okay, I will judge him as a sinner in place of humanity. And that's what he did. He could do that, okay? But he did not die for his own sins, okay? So if Adam, we all died, and then many were made righteous through Jesus, we'll, we'll see why later all are not automatically saved like they were made sinners under the law or under Adam's sin, justification of life to all men. But people have to accept it. We'll see the terms. It's God's plan. It's always God's plan. God's will and plan. But man must obey it, submit to it, believe in it. See, a lot of people say, well, it's all grace. No, it's not. That's a lying gospel. Oh, I'm glorifying God. We can't do anything. Oh, you can do anything. You receive the grace and you follow the Lord and your actions matter. And if you don't, you won't stay in Christ. You'll be cut off as an unprofitable, unfruitful branch. So read those scriptures and stop taking one or two scriptures out of context. Okay? And we forget sometimes God holds people under different standards until they've got the light. People think they go to hell because... They haven't heard the God. That's another lying gospel. Scripture doesn't teach that. God will judge man that doesn't have the gospel by the conscience, by the world, by the other things. He'll hold them to a lower standard. If that was true, it was better that Jesus did not die on the cross because most people, they, a lot of them could make it. They were righteous Gentiles, even under the law. God judged them according to their conscience. So all of a sudden, Jesus dies, and now they all have to go to hell it doesn't seem like it's a gracious gospel, does it? It seems like it's worse than it was under the law because man interprets it foolishly. He doesn't rightly handle the word of God. People go to hell on one hand for not listening to the gospel, for rejecting the gospel, for refusing the gospel, not for not hearing it. So he judges them according to the light and the truth. God says it's not his will that any perish. Well, how can all these people go to hell that haven't heard the gospel when God himself says, it's not my will. He didn't leave it just to man. Even Paul said, if I or an angel of hell preaching of the gospel, uh, angel of God preaching of the gospel, he said, let him be a curse. He implied an angel can preach the gospel under certain circumstances. The Lord preached it to Paul, didn't he? He didn't send a direct message first. He appeared to Paul, and he talked to him. And so don't think everything depends on you. 
Like Paul said, one waters, one plants, and God gives the increase. He doesn't give any credit to the soul winner, basically. That's their duty. That's their job to witness while their life, if not evangelism. He said, God's given it to every man. He inspires the one who gives the gospel. He inspires the one that waters the disciples. There's no real credit to man. He's just following the Lord and being helped by the Lord. A lot of these people think they get credit for that. Well, they're going to find out something different one day. Okay. So not wanting the light, not coming to the light, that will judge a man. Jesus said, as a whole, men love darkness rather than light, and therefore they will not come to the light. Let their sins be reproved. As a whole, humanity likes staying in their sin. And if they knew there was a way out, they won't want it because they want to live their own life and they want to do what they want to do. And I've heard people and I've talked to them in the past, oh, I don't want to hear that. It scares me. I said, it don't matter. Day of judgment, you're going to have to hear it. Oh, I don't want to hear about judgment and hell. They feel like, well, I said, you're like many people back in the 50s and 60s. They don't want to know it if they got cancer. Better that we don't tell them. Even doctors sometimes wouldn't tell their patients without the family's permission. They don't want to scare them. Well, the cancer killed them anyway. It didn't matter, did it? So not hearing something is not going to make you free from it. It's not going to excuse you. So many may say, well, no one preached the gospel to me. And the Lord will say, because you didn't want it anyway, and you never showed forth any desire to find it. See, he put in human nature, even a fallen man, he give him a conscience and a law. He give things to display things to him that he can't. And a man can act on his own initiative by the conscience God's given. And God will look, and if he responds to that lower level, God will give him grace. And you hear all this nonsense, well, it's all grace, and he doesn't have to do that. Yes, he does, in one context, because if he's a God of love, he has to show some kind of love, and that's what he did. He did it to mankind. People say, well, he's chosen before the... That's a bunch of nonsense. He's never chosen anybody to go to hell. He's never planned on anybody. In the Old Testament, it is not God's will that any perish, but that all come to knowledge true. Well, if it's predestination, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I could write a better Bible and make it plain to people. And in the New Testament, it tells the same thing. He died for all, but all won't receive him. But nevertheless, he died for everybody. And most people will not receive him. The majority will not receive him. That does not change the fact. So it tells us in both covenants, it's not God's will for any to perish. So if it's not his will, he cannot predestine them. He cannot choose them before without certain other qualities. See, we forget love, kindness, gentleness. People like to zero in on three scriptures and take them out of context. No. He lets a man live. It's his will that the wicked, he said, return. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he warns them and he turns. But he upholds his holiness. And most people are not going to receive the gospel. And Jesus said it. He said, the way is narrow and few there be that find it. But it wasn't his will. He knew man had the capability to do certain things. And that God will respond to him. If he responds to the lower life, God will give him more light. If he rejects the lower, God is not obligated to give him more. 
and that's holiness and justice. And grace says he has the right to extend it. He can hold it off. He can do many things, but ultimately he has to judge and bring wickedness into judgment. And he desires to because he's holy. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I've heard ministers say, oh, God grieves of all the people in hell. You do not find that in Scripture. Scripture calls it the wrath of God, and it means utter contempt and disregard. When a person enters hell, God doesn't give them another thought. There is no good thoughts toward them. It says utter contempt. And Paul said, we have been saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. So there's a wrath coming, too. People sort of think it's all been done away with. Nuh uh. And it's going to be the wrath of the Lamb. And he's going to judge. And he's going to tell most professing Christians that are calling him Lord and believe he's Lord. He could say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, you're cursed of my father. These has no pleasant words for him. So see, that's the horror of hell, the hopelessness. And to know that God doesn't give another thought about it. See, that's the wrath of God. And that's why man should fear God. He should fear the sin against him. Like Jesus said, don't fear man. The worst he can do is kill you. You fear the one that can kill you and send you to hell. People don't want to hear that. Well, that's the gospel. See, they think it's all the Santa Claus Jesus. You're going to find out it's not. You're going to be a little surprised at the Jesus we're going to have to deal with if we live in sin. And so it's the conscience. And those who walk in the lesser light, even the gospel will cover that. Gospel will take care of what those don't. Babies don't know nothing. Retarded people are not held responsible. Sin is not imputed. Doesn't mean the sin nature isn't there. But God makes provision. And that just throws water on the fire of the greasy grace person and the one who says, oh, you have to be elected. And yet they can never tell you if they're truly elected or not. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth because they're false shepherds on the way to hell. And the false believers are following them. Okay, verse 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam was held responsible. Eve was the first to sin, but Adam was the head and the authority. It's called the son of Adam. It's not called the son of Eve. And the Catholic Church for Sempers always blamed the woman more than the man. She was a lower person. She was to be kept under and all of this. Uh, they don't talk much about it. It was God held Adam more responsible because he was the head. And he chose to eat it by her offering. He willfully chose to side with her. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He may have not known the full consequences, but he chose to side with Eve. And that's called the son the son of Adam. He's the second Adam. So Jesus is not the second Eve, okay? And so he said, many were made sinners. We can say all were made sinners by the nature, not by the willful actions and stuff. God deals with different standards. Even the most righteous person like Job, they had some sin in their nature and they had ignorant sins at times. And sometimes they made mistakes. And God did not call them a, a dirty sinner for the rest of their life. He knew the capability, and, and they did very well under the system they were in. And he considered them righteous. He said, there's none like him in all the earth. And he made sacrifice for his family and stuff. He was a priest, most likely, like Melchizedek, 
Uh But he wasn't perfect. But God didn't require that. See, people think, oh, everybody has to be perfect. Well, they're made perfect through Jesus Christ and his blood. And we have a high priest to come to when we do fail. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us and, and to get out of our failures and stuff. But he never once said someone has to walk perfectly or can walk perfectly all the time. Even Paul, who superseded so many that we know of, well, we don't know about the hidden ones. That's why the first shall be last and the last shall be first. There might be someone that's got that right and left hand that nobody's ever heard of, but God has. He knows what's going on. So even Paul said, I have not yet attained perfection. That means there's a flaw somewhere. Hebrews says, let's lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. So it is a struggle and a fight. And we have to use the high priest. And we have to sometimes take the consequences and be disciplined by the Lord if we don't get on the ball and deal with some things the way he wants us to. So that's the difference. But see, he never required what man calls. How could he require something when a man's born with that bent and that nature's there? But he made provision. He didn't hold them accountable. The Christian is highly more accountable than anyone under the law. See? Hebrews said, how much greater punishment shall you receive if you trample the blood of Christ? The implication is everybody that's a real Christian, and if he backslides, he's worse than any normal sinner of the world. See? God's justice comes into play. To much is given, much is required. So he can give much grace. And like we said, but you better yield to it or you're going to be accountable to it. So a lot of people want, oh, I want to do this for the Lord, this, and the Lord said, no, you can't do it. You can't even overcome your daily affairs. Why would I want you to be a leader? Why would I want you to do something great? It's just your pride and your glory. You want to use me to get what you're after. He gets to the heart of matters. The word of the Lord deals with these things. That's why you don't give a novice authority. They get puffed up, think they're special. It's all the human works and nature has nothing to do with spiritual things because they've not been disciplined. They've not been taught. They've not been trained. And God don't need just their human nature. See, that would be the works that is vain. Until they grow on the milk of the word and mature, they have no business doing anything but studying the word of God and learning to follow the Lord, okay? So verse 19, as we've said again, and it's a repeating, as through one man said, Adam, many or all were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many were made righteous. Well, it's many, but in comparison to everybody, it's Jesus said there's few there be that find it, okay? So all things are relative when we look at the whole picture. Verse 20. The law came, and so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, The law came, and we're not talking about just the law of Moses. There was the law of conscience. There was government. There were other, the laws of nature revealed the glory of God and things about him. So it's talking about everything. Everything required of man, he was given sufficient knowledge at that time to move in that, at that 
law that was required of him. So before the law of Moses, we see the law had sin, the law of conscience and nature were working. That's what many of them dealt. Abraham and the patriarchs dealt with the law of nature and consequences, and then God started to reveal himself. And that was before the law. Okay, so when it did come, and when they gave man clear rules and clear do's and don'ts, it was made plain. And their sin was exposed. It was there. It was already there in darkness, and they weren't aware of how bad it was. But then the light showed them how bad it was. It didn't make it something new. It was new to them. It was there all the time. And in John, it says, And Jesus came to people in darkness that sat in darkness, and he gave them light. So they already had the darkness. They just didn't know much about it. And they didn't see themselves as bad as the as sin saw them and as God's holiness saw it. So when this awareness of sin came, which was already here, God sent grace to deal with it. So we're going to look at now Isaiah, Isaiah 59, the second part of 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, and that word flood means an army, when the enemy comes in like an army, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So he's saying even those under the old covenant they walk in the covenant that they're supposed to be, or they're following their conscience. It's that whatever comes against them, God will block it. He'll dam it up. He'll give enough so it doesn't have to overcome you. That's what he promises the old and the new. He doesn't promise excuses. He says he'll give whatever's needed. So if you need a certain extra grace, then he has to give that under extra trials and tribulations. It's your right as a child of God to get help from the master. People forget this sometimes. He's in covenant with us. He's made himself obligated to us. If we meet certain conditions, he will meet certain conditions. A lot of people say, oh, I spend all the time wondering whether I did the will of God. I said, well, if you were seeking the Lord daily, I said, if it was something big, he's obligated to tell you. I said, you don't have to guess a game. You follow the Lord daily, obey your conscience and the word of God, and you stop from willful sinning. The will of God becomes real easier, and he's willing. And you have a right as a slave to find out what the master wants for the day. You're not supposed to be out there guessing. So you may be a slave, and you owe him full obedience, but you can say to the master, but master, you got to tell me what to do. How can I obey you if you don't tell me what to do? How can I please you? So grace matches and supersedes all enemies. Even sin and death, eventually, we will see how it is going to be dealt with. Verse 21, because of this grace given, and it matches it, it abounds, it says, so that as sin reigned in death, to the Adamic nature, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he measured that. He not only dealt with the sinful nature, he removed the sin of the past, he removed the influences, but he does what? He helps us in the present by his own presence, by his coming to us. So it's through Jesus Christ that he requires us 
to live in holiness and purity and righteousness as a practical act, not as some mystical belief that doesn't work. That's what most people have. So death rules for now overall. So even the Christian, we still have to deal with the effects of sin and death until we're raptured or until we die and and be with the Lord. And when we die, this part of us that's drawn to the old world, it never said it was annihilated. You were given power over it. It will not go with us, see? And Romans later, or has, we've been reading, and we will read, we're groaning, it says, to be delivered from this body of death permanently. It means we won't have no temptation. We won't have no desire. It will be impossible to sin. So that's what we're looking forward to. But in this world, we still have to contend with the sinful nature. But he's saying it don't have to rule you. It doesn't have that kind of power unless you give it to it and you don't use Christ's help. That's the weapons of of the warfare Paul's talking about. That's walking in the spirit and being obedient and fruitful. Okay, So sin that produces sinful acts is to be defeated now. So he holds us more responsible, the Christian, not for being born in sin, not for having the Adamic nature. He holds us more accountable for the willful acts because we have the power over it and we don't have to. The inclinations and the desires and the drawings, we don't have that kind of power over it, but it's trying to get us to act on it and that we have power over. Okay. So he frees us legally through Christ Jesus from that Adamic nature as far as the law is concerned. But he's sanctifying the Christian. He's working in him this salvation, this change of life. And he will finally deal with it. When we are raptured or we die, that Adamic nature will not go with us. That old man will stay here. He can't tempt us. The devil cannot use him. So we will be as the Lord, as angels, impossible for us to sin. We only have a desire or a temptation. The tempter will be removed. The old nature will be left behind. It will be annihilated. So that's what the Christian has and that he can use and must use. Okay, So sin that produces sinful acts is to be defeated now. A lot of people trying to excuse that, oh, we're under grace and faith. Uh, You are not. If you're living in willful sin and you know you're in disobedience, don't be claiming grace and faith. You're an insulting God. He calls that wickedness. Yeah, he calls it wickedness. He said, for the wicked to claim to be righteous is an abomination, the same with the righteous. He said, if he turns to evil, God don't remember anything good he did. See, people need to get back and find out what the Lord's thinking is toward these things, not what some false shepherd has told them about greasy grace. So grace rules, it overpowers, it gives strength not to just be, but to do. So that's what Jesus is after. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm not your Lord. And the multitudes that say, Lord, Lord, we've said a hundred times, thousands. They believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They'll confess that. They believe he's the Lord of glory. They believe they're Christians. 
And then at this judgment, he's going to say, I never knew you. Why? Because you were never really born again. You didn't follow the Lord. You followed your own will. You lived like you wanted to, and you thought that God would rub a stamp and give you free salvation from hell. Well, that don't happen. See, you were deceived. The world lies under the power and deception of the wicked one. That's the consequences of rejecting the truth. God will send you a lying spirit. People don't want to say, well, God don't. Yes, he does. As I said many times, when the Antichrist rules the world, the masses as a whole, it says, because they did not like to acknowledge the truth. They had some kind of truth in their conscience or the gospel. He said, God gave them over. Who did it? God. To lying spirits, that they should be damned. Who was it that did it? God did it. It's the consequences of fighting God and holiness. There's a judgment, a punishment. And as I've said before, we say we forget it. Jesus said, thank you, Lord of heaven, Father, Lord of heaven, that you've hidden these things with the truths from the wise and intellectual. The Pharisees and the priests, they couldn't comprehend Christ because they were still in sin and they weren't willing to accept the truth and that the common people could understand and they turned to him and the apostles understood many things. And Jesus told the Pharisees that you'll die in your sins because you cannot believe. Why can't you believe? Because you're still in sin and you won't do nothing about it. Even according to the law, you won't repent. You won't change your mind. You won't consider what's being said. And he blocks the scripture from them. And he said, you can't even, if you search it, you're not going to find it if you're living in wickedness. That's a great lesson that people forget. You're practicing wickedness and you know it and you reject any truth, God will send you lies. He'll say, well, let him believe what he wants to believe. That's the consequences in the spiritual realm. It says, and what did he say? They will believe a lie. A great delusion will be sent, and they will believe a lie and be damned. And who's sending it? God. He's sending it. He's ordering it. See, it's the consequence of the judgment of God. That's what he does. So let's go ahead and take a break here, and we'll continue in a little bit.